0: Hello, and welcome to The Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting, brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Okay, today we're going to be talking to Ken Kelly of Magnaport. Uh, Ken is one of those guys, another one of those guys in the handgun hunting community who is just such a nice guy, giving of himself, but also so experienced and knowledgeable in his field. He runs Magnaport, which is the company that became famous for putting ports in the end of barrels to keep the muzzle rise down and now has a slew of products. They've been around for almost 50 years. His father, Larry, who started the company back in the 70s, I believe, was HHI number two. So, so much rich handgun hunting history in that family. So wonderful to talk to Ken and you're going to hear us talk about all kinds of cool things. And he always, you know, you'll just be talking to Ken and he'll drop a little nugget of something like, oh, I didn't know that. Or he knew somebody that you didn't know he knew who was a a really well-known handgun hunter or somebody else in the industry and how much he has just had his hand in this industry for so long. But before we get to the interview, I want to mention to everyone our free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which HHI writes and puts out to everybody. I'll always call it our love letter to the world about handgun hunting. If you want to read those issues, you can go to subscribepage.com forward slash the six gunner. Again, it's a free magazine. We'd love to have you subscribe so that you can keep up with what we're doing at HHI and read a lot of cool stories from people who have actually done it. So now on with my interview with Ken Kelly. Ken Kelly, thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, no problem at all. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So let's get right into it. You are kind of the recipient of just the legacy of some of the godfathers of handgun hunting, you know, both from the family you come from and because you run Magnaport. Can you tell me what you remember of kind of the first days when handgun hunting was really coming into its own in the 70s and 80s when everybody was figuring out new things and it was it was really a lot of excitement about it
1: oh it was you know back well back then when the 70s when dad started i was only 12 13 years old so i wanted to i was working every all summers here and uh doing whatever i could and you know so it was just that you know and then jd would come up you know and God, I remember Dad and JD. That's all they did was talk, and you know they'd be talking. They, JD would get rolling to town, and they'd be talking about one thirty in the morning. You know, just sitting at the counter talking and all that stuff there. And JD, uh, JD's two girls were falling asleep on the couch. Jane <laughs> falling asleep, and and uh, but they all yeah, yeah. That that was the best part, you know, meeting all the good people when I was younger, and then when I got eighteen, nineteen years old, you know, heck, we had Bill Jordan fly into the the shop one day and. And uh, just all the different other people, I mean, uh, the movers and the shakers of the, the industry back then, it was just phenomenal to meet all them different guys. I mean, they were, they were legends back then, and, but now they're almost like superheroes.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. What are some of the things that we take for granted now that you remember kind of hearing about back then as they were being either invented or come up with?
1: Well, the bit—I'm one of the biggest things I remember back in there, you know, dad... That's uh, when dad, what dad did there, you know, he took and uh, he'd a deer or he'd he a bear or anything like that. And he'd always incorporate all that stuff into the ads. Mm. And then same thing when he went over to Africa with his elephants and all that stuff there. And he would get a lot of negative feedback on it all, oh, you know, killer and all that stuff there. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest things that I remember is, you know, your, your outdoor life or your field and streams, the big, big. Famous, famous gun writers and mm-hmm. all that stuff there, legends in no all mine. They were uh, they were just attributing the handgun hunting to a stint or a stunt, right. you know, a circus act and all that. And and Dad dad would call them all out on that, and he took in, uh, you know, that was another battle there. You know, you had, you know, other than the, you know, the non-believers and all that stuff, then you had, to, you had the actual firearms industry wasn't supporting it. Now you got so much support, and it's just... You know, it's, it's, and there's so many handgun hunters and, and it, it's just a, you know, back then it was a, a smaller group of guys and now I it con- contributes to an army of handgun hunters there.
0: Wow. It's interesting to hear you say that. One of the things, you know, I've talked about in the past is kind of like the ebb and flow of handgun hunting as far as popularity is concerned. And I kind of feel, please correct me if I'm wrong because you have way more experience in this area I kind of feel like, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s was when the last big industry push of guns, you know, that's the XP 100 was discontinued in the late 90s. And I think the X frames came out in the early 2000s. And, you know the Encore and Thompson Center going through all their shifts and whatnot, but then it really just kind of became more about the, the tactical side of things. And I think it's only now that we're starting to see an upswing in that. Would you say that that's kind of fair of what, what, what's happened?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a shame what happened at Thompson Center. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Thompson Center collector and it just, you know, it's just so sad. And cause I remember heck all the time, you know, there used to be, you know, back in the, the 90s and 2000, you had the White Oaks Plantation, which was an industry hunt. Then you had the Safari Club Handgun Hunt over at the Y.O. Ranch and all mm-hmm. and, and for 10, 15 years. And, oh, my God, they were just – everybody would get together and they'd have all the, 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 you know, the big handgun hunters in there. But then there'd be just regular guys that – it was just so much fun, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, and and then, uh, but the good thing about it now is that handgun hunting competition, Chris Rhodes, they got that, they got that that competition now mm-hmm. is turning is so big and just an awesome, awesome thing to keep the handgun hunting momentum going.
0: Absolutely, it's a fantastic event, fantastic event, and it's a run by a non profit organization now, so that's
1: exactly that's really yeah, they cool. do a lot of lot of support for the. the the handicap and the veterans and all that yeah
0: absolutely so um can you tell me based on you know all those years that you've been doing it what are some of the kind of fads that you've seen come and go ah god i i
1: you know there's so much different things and and like you said label them fads and all that stuff there but
0: or trends. You, know, the, you could say trends. Trends or yeah. stuff
1: like that. There, there's, there's been so many, but like I say, if it's anything that's going to help someone become more of a prolific handgun hunter, more to them and all that stuff there, yeah. you know. I'd almost like I'm very superstitious and all that stuff there, you know. I mean, the big thing back then, you know, Dad used to always advocate a, a shooting stick and all that. Uh-huh. Back in the 70s, even on rifles, mm-hmm. nobody had any shooting sticks. Now, you look at everybody on all the videos and the on um, the hunting channels and all that everybody's got the, you know they got their sticks they set their sticks right out which is great because it's going to be more accurate more uh, more accurate of a shot more of a kill shot mm-hmm. and uh and same thing with the handgun you know you got them bogs with the vices and all that stuff and yeah. you know it's hey anything you know and then people say, oh they're cheating on that because they got the device and they got you know <laughs> same thing on XP's and contenders compared mm. to revolvers you always got that little chitter chatter back and forth yeah but if, if if there's anything you can do to make it more accurate and a more of a good professional kill shot there's there's nothing wrong with it at all
0: i i am so happy to hear you say that because my whole philosophy has been you know whatever gets you under the tent you know we are one big family and if as long as the way that you handgun hunt is ethical and legal you're you can call yourself a handgun hunter, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Oh my God! And I and I'm a train wreck when it comes to shooting. I ended up <laughs> when I first started shooting when I was 15 with a my my contender for silhouette. Mm-hmm. All Dad had laying around was old Superville, and that was so hot. And Ooh yeah! I ended up cut my thumb real bad, and and uh, I developed a flinch that took me months and even a, I'd say years to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And I can really shoot pretty good with a handgun, but the thing is, I need practice and. You know to do it right, and the, but the big thing is, you know, like I tell everybody, I said, Dad was a big handgun hunter and all that stuff. There, he could do stuff. I mean, unbelievable shots, and mm-hmm. he was good. I mean, he didn't even practice. And <laughs> and me, I need to, I need that confidence. I need to be out there for three, four months, and and you know, the last bunch of years we've been running six and seven days most of the time, and <clears throat> but I've been doing that my whole life. You know, right. Dad's Dad's job was. Uh, promotion and going out and he would be, be hunting six months out of the year. Wow. I mean, he, he had a life that I don't think too many people could, could ever duplicate or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, but I was always in the back end here, keeping all the production caught up and all that.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way as you. Like I, I have to work at it in order to be good at it, which is why I love oh, it. My God. You know, that's why I love it oh, because yeah. it's gotten me, better at working better at working at something and better at developing a skill
1: uh, oh my god yeah i've been so bad the last three four years i i'm you know i i got my maximum with me and all that stuff there but it's just um you know heck i i'm heck the last couple of years i didn't even have anybody sighting my guns
2: oh yeah.
1: i i, I had my guys sighting the guns and bring them in and I, I go deer on and i hunt three four days and um i want to try to hunt more but i just end up always working
0: believe me i know that as a former as a recovering gunsmith
1: (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah
0: that's one of the reasons that i got out of it, because i was tired of being behind the bench when it was hunting season
1: oh yeah yeah that's the thing is i tell everybody i'm gonna go for a full week up and where i because of the place i'm hunting it's all free ranging Mm -hmm. and there's potential for boone and crockett to step out at any time Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm lucky to be hunting where i'm hunting and all that stuff there but uh, you know, I'd say, okay, I'm going to go back for Thanksgiving. I'm going to go back for, for loading, where you can still hunt with a handgun or a rifle. Mm-hmm. And I just don't do it because of, you know, I got deadlines and production and all that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you're doing good work though, Ken. We do appreciate Oh my
1: God. that guy <laughs> took it. Uh, people's going to say I'm crazy, but I mean, in the nineties, I gave away 10 days safari in Africa. Oh, wow. I took and uh, dad bought it. And, uh, in, um, the, from the Novice Fire club and he was going to go back one more time with mom but their health and mm-hmm. the climate in Rhodesia at the time or zimbabwe wasn't that safe right and so he didn't go he says well if you want to go why don't you go and i said well dad i, I got my house and, and the first time i went in 82 i think i shot 35 animals so mm. for planes game i had everything i wanted right so i said so i ended up i had a gunsmith here i told him i said hey if you want to go to africa i'll give you a 10 day safari i'll take it off some of your christmas bonuses and uh, let him go over there and uh, he ended up went over there with his dad and had a great time.
0: That's great. That's, ah! I mean, I'm sorry you didn't get to go, but that's that's really um, that's a great leadership move for you to do that for someone who works for you.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's more like one big family here, it's always been even our the old people you know that worked through here and worked their way up in different shops and all that stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I ever need help when I got some big runs coming in, you know, they come and take and help me and all that stuff there.
0: That's that's great to hear. And, you know, you have a great, Magnaport has such a great reputation for all all the things that you guys do. Can you tell me what are some of the biggest changes in the industry that you've seen since you started in this business?
1: Well, I think a lot of times as, or, you know, some of the guns are, yeah, they, you know, they're <clears throat> they're throwing them together a little bit. You know, the quality issues on some of the revolvers and all that stuff there. I mean, timing and all that stuff there, and mm-hmm. you know, compared to what, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, but then then again, on the other end, you got other companies that are like BFRs. I mean, they're, the quality on them is, you know, they're second place freedom arms is what I call them. They're mm-hmm. almost, you know, they're just the quality levels is just phenomenal on mm-hmm. them and, and then they are, they got some newer ones coming up and all that stuff there it's uh it's just phenomenal on on some of the stuff there that way but uh the uh you know different trends and all that but there are there are some good trends coming out where everybody's trying to take and uh you know get different projects and like i said some of these custom pistols with you know you know chris rose was doing them uh, for Nugans and all that stuff there. I mean, <laughs> just, just phenomenal mm-hmm. guns that he he was turning out there. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's so much other good stuff coming out still too. you know, some of the pistol Smiths and some of the XP 100 stuff coming out and all that. I mean, just, uh, it's pretty good there.
0: Yeah, we do have, we do have, even though Chris, unfortunately retired, we do have a lot of good, uh, Smiths out there that are doing some creative things
1: oh, my God, uh, <clears throat> you know, Brian at SSK, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, holding up, you know, now that uh, Dave Fricky has it and all mm-hmm. that stuff there, uh, just, just phenomenal, uh, you know, the quality and, and the innovation because they're bringing back the, the SSK 50, which is uh, phenomenal. I mean, that thing is, uh, that's going to be so much of a kick to the TC brand. Uh, oh, I know. For the people, the barrel owners, and all that, I'm I'm really excited about that. They've had a couple of hiccups and all that stuff there, but I got 150 uh, percent confidence in 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 SSK and Dave Ricky to get the job done. You know, so and then I, you know, down the road, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm I'm hoping for an encore format, but let's get the SSK 50 out and get the bugs worked out, and then it's going to be one. That's going to be one of the biggest contributions to handgun hunting.
0: Oh, for sure. I think
1: for, for like a five-year deal.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we're all waiting with bated breath for that. I know, you know, having worked on the production side of things and machine shops and et cetera, I understand the challenges that they are they are having, especially since they uh, introduced it and tried to produce it right in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So yeah,
0: um, I'm with you. I I it, I believe it's coming. I don't think they're going to I don't think they they're not going to deliver, but we're definitely excited about that one and and kind of holding our breath waiting for it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's going to it's going to be good and and uh, I'm excited about it and
0: all that stuff there. So as far as your uh, your dad was HHI number 2, correct? Right, yeah. Yep. Can you tell me what the organization Handgun Hunters International was like? Back in the day
1: in the heyday and the heyday it you know it was a big thing that I mean when you get your news- the newspaper and all that stuff mm-hmm. there that was a big thing i'd I'd sneak up try to grab it, and oh my God, Dad would come back and swap me over the head with it, and <laughs> we'd get back to work and all that, but it was just you know all the good people doc uh you know he'd be god he I think he shot more dough and uh, Doc Rogers early. Oh, yeah. got more, more dough. And, and then John Taffin was writing in there all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, then Eric Pavlak there, uh, crazy man. He was, yeah, he's, uh, he was writing in there quite a bit there. I think he was under crazy man was his nickname. Back yeah. back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he was, he's a hell of a nice guy and he's an awesome handgun on I remember the last couple of years before dad passed, he ended up, he got stationed in, uh, um, uh, by Libby there where dad lived and mm-hmm. heck he was going to visit dad and he even took dad out hunting a couple times there. So. Oh,
2: that's uh, cool. It,
1: oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was able to see dad get out there and all that. But uh, you know, the last couple of years, his eyes were bad and heck in the last couple of antelope he shot there. uh He ended up, uh, I think the last, one last one was at 340 yards and the year before was 320 and wow. and that was, that was he was blind in his right eye so he was usually shooting left handed. It while wow. shoot, well, shooting left eye, using his left eye. And uh he uh he did some great shots and all that stuff there. He had a he had a, a friend out there, a caretaker, uh Tim, and uh he kept him dad hunting probably five, ten years longer than, than he could have, you know, if he was by himself.
0: That's so cool to hear. That's awesome. And I'm glad to hear that about Eric. Eric uh he's got a he's he sent me a bunch of articles that I've been publishing in the the new Six Gunner that we're putting out uh, every other month. Um, that's free for anybody to get, and he, it's he's still at it. And he is a super nice guy, and he's oh yeah, he's a prolific handgun yep. great handgun. I tell you, there's not
1: too many not nice handgun hunters, or you're going to say anything bad about any of them, or anything like that. You know, very true. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, the handgun fraternity is is small and all that stuff. There, you know, and then. Uh, you know, on, on Dalton's page, handgun hunting and addicts, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, that's a great group of guys there too. I, I ended up, I got in a little snuffing contest with one guy over, over some stuff there, but uh, you know, uh, we hit, but it has pretty hard. And, but then after that, you know, uh, he's liking my stuff, some of my comments, I'm liking his comments, you know uh, you know, so it's, it's, I, I've always said that handgun hunting or even a firearms community is, is a, is, is pretty, you know, uh a a small nick family and yes. uh, you know, you got really got to go out of your way to become a jerk, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I can't. I mean, I've been blown away by the amount of support that I've gotten from, you know, back when I was a gun builder from you and others and as well as the support for restarting HHI and you're absolutely right. One of the great things about it is everybody just wants to help everybody else get better. You know, they just want to share what they've done, share what's worked for them, share their methods and their tips and tricks. And we're definitely an opinionated bunch, but we're, we love sharing what we know.
1: Oh my God, exactly. And And then I just remember, you know, God, like I said, you know, JD coming up every year and then even uh, uh, God, I think when I was 21, my one of my first handguns I uh, deer I shot. I was a late bloomer because I couldn't hit nothing. <laughs> and uh, we went down to uh, uh, Del Rio, Texas, and we we're hunting with Bob Good from the American Sportsman's Club. And uh, it was it was just hilarious, you know, hunting with JD and a couple of the Texans and Bob Good, and and uh, you know I was able to get out. actually I, I did pretty good with the white tail I shot. It wasn't a monster, but it still took uh, Took first place for the uh, whitetail division of the HHI handgun hunt there, so I was able to get a TC frame out of the
0: deal. Oh, that yeah, I I, I remember seeing that in in the old six gunners. I as I scanned them to to upload the classic six gunners, I see mm-hmm. I see all the HHI winners, and I saw I saw that that's that's pretty neat. So when you were when you were you know had more time away from the shop, I guess as it were to to chase these uh hunts what was your kind of go-to gun that you used the most
1: uh god i got so many favorites i you know i'm a, i'm big time PC, but freedom arms i love the freedom arms i got a slew of them and then i got uh uh my smith my old smith and wesson when i was uh 18 uh put together a stalker on a smith and wesson that's still one of my favorites um couple of my XPs and all that stuff there. Uh, you know, so there it's, I got a little bit of everything. Plus I got all dad's guns now, but like I said, I just need to get out and start shooting them because I, I just don't have time. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I got so many favorites. And then we even got some of the freedom arms. They did the limited edition on dad where they made a freedom Arms stalker mm. and a predator. And they, they it was a encased set and all that stuff there and I still think dad's is floating around here somewhere. And wow. it just, uh, and then dad used to get the low Ruger serial number. So in all the safes we got, I think from 1978 to about three years ago, when they discontinued it, uh, we got every Ruger model made handgun and rifle serial number 000149 Wow, Wow. Which, which was, you know, dad's low serial number. So mm-hmm. I got a bunch of favorites and all that stuff there. And, then a lot of times as I go in the safe and I find a, one of my favorites, I didn't know remember I had.
0: Spoken like a true handgun hunter, Ken. We're we're all, you know, God forbid we had we would ever have to choose one gun, right?
1: <laughs> oh my God, ex- exactly. You know, and uh, and that's what I want to get back in there. It's been a while since I shot a deer with a handgun and all that mm. stuff there, but uh, I definitely uh, I'm definitely ready. You know, to get back and 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 do that. You know.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, I, again, I totally sympathize with being stuck in the shop. Oh,
1: I, re- I remember one time in Montana, we were sitting there, and uh, I was I was missing a buck a day, and we're talking. This was up in the Yak, and
2: mm-hmm. it was
1: the uh, one spur road. It was called Big Buck Road, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of big bucks. Well, I took, and I was missing a deer, a big buck a day, you know. And finally, we went and sighted in my six five, and instead of three inches high for being point of aim at three hundred yards. I was six inches. So I shoot oh. over the back of it. And then, you know, the next day I took a shot at this white tail and I I couldn't believe I didn't hit it. And there was no blood. No, that was ballistic tip. Use ballistic tips with a six, five, mm-hmm. and no hair, no nothing. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. And me and dad got a big argument. I said, well, just take me to the airport. I'm flying to Florida. This vacation <laughs> is not fun. I mean I just want to go to Florida. Just take me. And then, all of a sudden, my brother-in-law and my brother-in-law's dad come out the, the, from the back and bottom of it, and my brother-in-law says, hey, who shot the deer? I found it, you know? And uh, it's just <laughs> all, all the blood went right between the hide and the,
2: the wow. hair. With oh, that, uh-huh. uh,
1: so then after that, I, I, all the only thing I ever used was a 120-grain spear uh,
0: soft point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a great story. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So uh, what is the bulk so? Magnaport is obviously known for when your dad invented uh, the EDM process of putting trapezoidal ports in the end of muzzles to be able to reduce the muzzle rise. As a matter of fact, I love the old the old ad that your dad would put in the six gunner that said the real gun control. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, because you know, it controlled the recoil, and so that that was really what you guys became known for. And then obviously your your signature custom builds the the stalker etc. what kind of keeps you guys the most busy these days?
1: It's a little bit of everything. We're we're, we're doing a lot of muzzle brakes, a lot of threading for cans. Mm-hmm. Uh porting's always heavy. Uh semi-autos is is really is really heavy there, you know, we we just keep two machines constantly going on semi-autos. Uh and then the revolvers, uh shotgun porting too or pro porting for the competition also uh, got Carlson choke tubes every six eight months. They were dropping 200 to 500 shockwave barrels uh, hmm. in for porting on the pro porting. So we we got a wide variance of of everything always coming in and it, and it's uh, you know and then back in the heyday in the 80s, you know I got tied up with the performance center doing the slab. Uh, sighted performance on our guns hmm. and then um uh, then that was right after i think that clinton deal where they signed that that they were a little bit of a low so uh, <clears throat> our rep and, and paul Pluff was the manager at smith at the time and chris cloy was a uh, vice president and our rep got them all tied into making a bunch of offers to the distributors to drop ship uh smith and wesson's reporting and then we would forward them on to the uh distributors build the distributors and then give them a special price uh smith and wesson didn't have to put any squ numbers or anything like that so it worked out really good so we were having god yellow freight coming in here every two three times a week with three 500 handguns you wow. know and we'd get them and ship them on uh I, and then the cold anaconda as we probably did about 24 25 thousand of them for cold and uh we ended up uh they took in uh, one time, then when they shut down, did their shutdown, they sent us a, a pallet. that was four foot by four foot by three foot tall, and there was 8,000 anaconda barrels in there. Wow. Yeah, so that, that was, and we just would run, got around the clock sometimes there, just uh, to keep everything caught up and all that stuff there. And, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, a lot of different things over the years. And then another big thing was there, too. When, uh, you know, Dad was the first person to ever do a, a white-outline blade for a, a Ruger or a Colt.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we started edm and them back in 73, 74, and uh, we probably did 40, 50,000 of them for Colt, you know, because we actually did them, made all the Colt white-outline blades for Colt for, God, I think about five or eight years.
0: That's, that's impressive. Can you tell me how long does it take to do a, a two-port magnaport job on a revolver
1: uh the burn t- well the big thing is you got your setup you know right 10 15 minutes getting everything set up and then the burn times depending if it's a thicker barrel you know 15 20 minutes per side mm-hmm. uh you know and then if you got your airway to airway 38 you know heck it's a, you know five minute burn time there oh right smith one time for bangers uh distributor they sent us five twenty five hundred 4.42s and 2,500 6.42s uh, just the barrels and goddamn, them are just two inch barrels. We had them <laughs> piles of them laid all over the shop. They're running them.
0: Oh my gosh. But I mean, like even that, even if you're running super fast, that is a lot of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is some of the, the thicker, but you know, cause you look at your, uh, the 629s now, you know, back 15, 20 years ago, they had a different rib design and we could go alongside the rib design, so you might only be 8 or 10 minutes there per side. But now, now you're actually going about 450,000th of wall thickness because the, the new rib designs for the last 15 and 15 years-ish are more like the 686, mm. where the older 29 rib design had that little radius in there. And yep. now it's just a straight wall like a 686. Right. So we go up on top of the rib and uh, compared to alongside the rib what we used to do years ago.
0: Yeah, that's, man, that's fascinating to me. So you said you're doing a lot of semi-autos. You do uh, porting through the slide into the barrel, is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, we go with the
1: oversized port into the, you know, through the slide and then a smaller port into the barrel. That way if it starts to dissipate any gas or anything like that. Um, you know you don't get that much of a build up or anything like that
0: okay i understand this is i'm i'm peeking my you've piqued my curiosity as a as a former machinist and manufacturing guy about you know the processes because i think you know spark erosion is just a fascinating technology and i love the story of your dad i love the story of inventors you know and i love the story of how this thing came to be so when you do the the semi autos do you do the slide and the barrel separately
1: Yep, yep, you do the well yeah, you do the big port and the slide on mm-hmm. both sides. Then uh like uh I have a set of like for 1911s, you know, compared to not a Glock, you got to have that barrel locked up in battery. So I got a set of rails for 1911 so we'll put in like a 1911 on the rails with a spring assembly. Everything's locked up in battery. Mm-hmm. And then when I do my barrel ports, I do them through my slide. I take my locations off of my slide port
0: oh okay yeah that makes a lot of sense wow that's just yeah. fantastic but now,
1: back in uh back in like 79 ish when we first developed uh started playing around with semi-auto porting we used to just do uh 1911 with a solid bushing uh, going through the the bushing the slide and the barrel all with the same size port mm. and uh oh and i shoot them 230 grain cast with a uh, unique powder so just to see how long I would go before I crudded up and had a, a you know, a short stroke or anything like mm. that. And by that time, the chamber end was so crudded up with all that stuff there. And then, then after that, we just decided to stay behind the bushings uh, and go with a bigger port. And, and mm. that's been working out really good. Yeah.
0: So uh, I, 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 I feel like I should take a second to explain that what the the idea behind it is that these ports direct the gases out and at an angle from the front of the gun in order to keep the muzzle from rising as high when you shoot.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, the porting will hold the muzzle down. Mm-hmm. And...
0: So what what I what I've heard you say to me before, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the porting is for controllability of the muzzle rise and your brakes are more for overall control of recoil is that true
1: exactly yeah the brakes like the muzzle brakes will dissipate so much recoil same thing like on the comp guns on your on your semi-autos and all that
2: stuff Mm -hmm. where
1: you're trapping trapping the gas and all that stuff it's gonna be a little bit more effective than the porting but then for a carry gun you got that big comp hanging over there so it's, it's really impractical right uh but for competition shooting it takes and, uh, you know, gets a little bit better on the edge. But then I remember another years ago, Jerry Barnhart, uh, he was leaving to go to shoot there and he had a 38 super and he brought it in there and he had a comp on it, and all that stuff. He says, he said, I want you to burn me two round holes directly on the top EDM through the, through the the slide in the barrel. And, you know, he said, I'm leaving in three hours. I'm on my way to the airport. So I, I got it all done for him. And he left and he went to some big massive shoot and he come back the next week. I called him up. I says, "Well, curiosity has killed me. How, how did you do?" Mm-hmm. He said, "I took first prize, first place." He says, "That he says, unbelievable what that did." He said, "So even along with a comp, the porting still helped it quite a bit."
0: Interesting. And I'll tell you this: this is just a story from my personal life. I bought a classic, an older '80s Red Hawk. Uh, a few years ago, and I didn't know when I bought it, but when it showed up, it had two port magna port done to it. Mm-hmm. And I also have a 629 with the the factory barrel that has the little cutout in front of the front sight for as a muzzled brake, I guess you would say, or a compensator. Oh, this my power port. Yes, my thank lesson. you. That's that. Yeah, the name was, I couldn't remember that. I love shooting that Red Hawk. I just I that the magna port for me it I don't know it it could just be you know the way that I shoot and me, but it makes it so much more pleasant to shoot and I actually prefer it over the six twenty nine as far as recoil is concerned with the Magnaport port so I'm a I'm a big proponent.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, one big thing is everybody says, oh my god, the noise and all that decibel wise is it's it's not going to sound all that much different, and then then you got to give your velocity guys. And, oh, my God, you're blowing all that velocity. And, and the, the funny thing about it, Ricky Weeks, when the service manager from Freedom Arms, when he would take and first started doing barrels for Freedom, they would send them, he'd chronograph them before he got them for porting. And then when he got back with a four-port rifle-style porting, some of them were chronographed 15 feet more hmm. than before porting. And 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 it's mostly because, like Dad says, the plus or minus, half of 1% for inconsistency in the bullet weight, the temperature, the powder and the primers and all that stuff there. Right. And, uh, you know, so you, you tell everybody that, and they go, oh, it can't be there. You know, but you just, sometimes it's, you don't want to, it's not worth just, you know, getting in a discussion. But, yeah, that <laughs> was, uh, he was doing that, and then somebody else was doing a bunch of chronographing, too, and found out the same thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a big difference between people who like to chase numbers, and people who like to chase actual experience in the field. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, my God. It's, it's the same way. That's like on, on rifles with a magna brake, you know, on your 26-inch barrels, you know, about 60% leave them at 26, and the other 30% will cut them down an inch and a half, mm-hmm. um, you know, two inches or whatever to keep the, the brake same overall length. And, mm-hmm. and they asked me, they said, well, what, what kind of, and I'll uh, tell you what, I'm going to give you the scientific reasoning on that. I says if you're the guy in your gun club with your vest and you got your little pencil holder and pen holder and a scale in there and then <laughs> that's all you guys do is you drink coffee and you're talking about energy and foot pounds and this or that. I says uh, don't do it. I says but if you look out into the, the big trophy room out in the front, I says everything out there was shot with under a 15 inch barrel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I says go figure. Yeah. And that's that's worked out for. 25 years on, 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 my discussion on my scientific way on whether to shorten a barrel or anything like that.
0: (laughs) That's, uh, I love hearing that. And yeah, I, it's kind of one of the things that I say, the animal doesn't know how long your barrel was or what kind of muzzle device you had on it. (laughs) Oh my God,
1: exactly. You know, it's you you get a good shot and it goes down, you know, that's what, you you know, that's what you want.
0: Yeah. What are you, it's kind of like, uh, this is another thing from when I was building guns, you know, people, I had a guy come into my shop one time and I had all my groups up on the wall of rifles that I had built and, you know, they were all half inch and under groups. And the guy said, yeah, you know, I I was thinking about a custom rifle, but your groups don't look very good. And he was not a bench rest guy. You know, he was not that. And I said, well, what are you hunting fleas? Because, when you're chasing group sizes, what what exactly are you chasing? You know, I mean, we how long has it been that we've thought, man, if that revolver out of the box groups three inches at fifty yards, let's go hunting. Right, exactly. So um, obviously, again, these days so much has changed from when you first got into the business and and all the things you've seen over your career. If someone were to come to you, or if someone does come to you and says, Ken. I know that you know a lot about handgun hunting and you know about the guns and you know some experience based on all the people you've known over your career. And I don't know how to get into handgun hunting. What advice would you give them?
1: I tell you, well, you you, you don't have to jump ten, both feet in there and you have the $5,000 custom this or that, you know, you can get away with, you know, super Blackhawk Hawk or a uh, uh, you know, Smith or a contender and, and just go practice. My biggest thing is practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, you don't have to go, you know, crazy and get everything, you know, get a decent scope. You know, uh, I tell them that, you know, and actually if they if their eyes are good enough, shoot open, shoot open sights for the, for the majority of the time you can. And then, you know, slowly, you know, if you want to go into long range stuff, you know, you can find yourself a contender, but, uh, and then go into scope and, but because that's a, that's another thing, too, you get a lot of the great handgun hunters, they're still out there shooting with uh, open sights and all that stuff, which is phenomenal. So you don't need all the bells and whistles to start.
0: Yeah. Amen. That's so true. Like I always say, find something you can hunt with what you got or f- something that you can get easily.
1: Yep. And I, like Dad used to tell him, you know, first, you know, if you're just getting started, you know, get yourself a decent trigger and then, uh, you know, check your crown, inverted crown, porting. Um, the first three things that uh, that's what they had always told them to do, and then you know down the road if they wanted to get into all the exotic stuff, then you can do that
0: exactly right dip dip your toe in and then move forward with the crazier stuff, oh my God for yeah, sure yeah so. Uh, what's uh what's the future of Magnaport? You guys are you are you guys just so covered up with work with uh, porting and stuff? You're going to continue to be the the household name as far as that's concerned.
1: Yeah, I I I, I love to do the custom stuff and right, but right now, like I said, you know, just trying to get some couple other good gunsmiths in here, mm. and uh, you know, keeping the you know, because the big thing is on the porting. We're running porting. You know, week and a half, week and a half on muzzle brakes and all that stuff there. Okay. Because uh, that's what, that that's the bread and the butter here is the porting. The gunsmithing and all that stuff there, I got some guns in here longer than I should have them. And, you know, but I haven't been quoting any delivery probably in mm. about four years. Mm. So uh, I've been pushing back um, any trigger work now. But, you know, the girls... My nickname here at the shop is a jellyfish because I never say no. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, a lot of times people want to get it ported, get a crown put on it, uh, maybe drill and polish, uh, some site work, EDM, a pocket mill off the blade. Mm-hmm. I tell them I use them as filler jobs, you know, might only be six, eight weeks, something like that. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, I always try to accommodate everybody. But the, the bigger conversions and, and then the big thing is like the Super Blackhawk stuff to put a site on right you know cut crown and silver silver solder the base and then you got to clean up the base and they're so labor intense that's Mm -hmm. why i say you know thank god for firming garza i'm making his his, his sites and a lot of my conversions now i switched over where i'm i'm just using Fermi sites i says i tell everybody i says uh you know, to, to solder and all that stuff, I'll do it, but it's just so labor
0: intense. It absolutely is. I remember those jobs and uh, screw-on sights are such a blessing.
1: <laughs> oh, and they're they're first-class. They got that little forward slant, mm-hmm. durations, and all that stuff. There, just uh, you know, he's he's doing it right. You know, that's uh, you know making a good sight blade like that.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Lastly, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is the the handgun hunters museum. Mm -hmm. that is i you sent me a cool little pamphlet about that uh, about a year and a half ago and it's basically the trophy room right yeah and it's it's got all these cool animals in it and it was is it mostly your dad's animals or is there are there other hunters represented
1: yeah there's more other other hunters i've put some stuff in here and Mm -hmm. all that stuff there uh and then we used to have some of ted nugent's stuff there until i built his big house there Mm -hmm. but uh, we got some of JD's stuff here and a couple of things there. And, and then, uh, you know, dads and other handgun hunters donated stuff. Um, but the majority of it is dads. And then since my mom passed, we, we had to sell the big house and then mm-hmm. move the rest of it here and filtered a bunch to my sister's houses with tall ceilings. And, uh, I mean, he had, cause he had some awesome kudos. He had a couple 62 or 64 inch kudos. I mean, wow. just phenomenal. And, and, uh, and then uh, the, the, the day my mom, my mom passed on a Monday and we buried her on a Friday, Saturday morning, about 530 in the morning, we had two motions trip at their house on the lake. And and uh, so me and my sister get over it. Everything's police was already there. Everything's secure and all that. But the next day, about nine o'clock in the morning, I had one of my other gunsmiths meet me there and we loaded three sets of ivory from the lower mm. lower family room just to get it out of the house and put it in the office here yeah yeah oh oh my god yeah but yeah we get we we get a lot of people still come in um you know a lot of a lot of different tours boy scouts and you know some senior citizens we had one gentleman that used to drive the senior citizen bus from st Clair down to doctor's appointments and Mm -hmm. every couple weeks he was pulling in the driveway and when they had enough time he'd bring all the seniors in there on wheelchairs and and see all that stuff because it's just phenomenal, you know, to see that many type of animals. And yeah, all that.
0: that's amazing. So, so if people are in the area, they can stop by Magnaport and get a chance oh, to yeah, see us. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's always and that's what Dad and heck, when Dad was alive. We'd have you know because we take a lot of porting on appointment and all mm-hmm. that stuff there to call us up an appointment. Well, with Dad, when Dad would come in here, he'd be hanging out in his office. All of a sudden, he'd, he'd walk out there and he'd, he'd see him, and he says, "Hey." What are, you, what are you guys doing? And he says, you guys have breakfast or lunch yet? And they said, well, no, no, we're just waiting on our guns. He says, come on, jump in my caddy, let's go, you know. And no. he'd, they'd go out for lunch, and, and he he would, you know, talk hunting with them. The next thing you know, they're in the office with coffee sitting on the, on the couch here, and they'd be just talking. And, and Dad just loved to the, the tell his hunting stories and all that stuff there. You know, one thing about Dad, and, and the biggest compliment I get from a lot of people, hunters, everything is there he was uh he he never forgot where he came from and and he was always you know always happy to talk to people meet people and just was always so friendly you know and that that's one of the best things anybody ever wants to say anything about my dad that was it. he was always just the nicest guy in the world
0: well i think i think that trait is genetic ken because that has been my experience of you for sure yeah, you're just well, always helpful, always friendly, always love love to chat. It's it's just such a cool thing that you got
1: going on. Yeah, well, I used to have JD call me all the time. He'd keep me in line, too.
0: <laughs> so you're looking for gunsmiths? Anybody in the Michigan area that hears this, go talk to Ken if you're both a gunsmith and a good gunsmith. And, yeah, well, uh,
1: mostly just pistol, you know, because we don't even do any general stuff. We right. just all, all specialized and all yes, that stuff yeah. there. And, so
0: even a good machinist.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, I'm a huge proponent of the trade. So if anybody hears this that could give Ken a hand, <laughs> uh, you're good at it, give him a call. Ken, uh, people can find you at magnaport.com. You do fantastic work. Thank you so, so much for uh, doing this interview with me today. I know it's going to be very valuable to, to our listeners. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: Hey, no problem at all. You have a fantastic day. You too, sir.
0: What an interesting guy. I always love talking to Ken. If you get a chance and you're up in his neck of the woods, be sure to stop by and see the Handgun Hunters Museum. There's a lot of history there. And also, Magnaport is just a cool place. I hope that you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Again, you know, just like I said, such a nice guy. Yet again, another one just willing to pitch in and share his information. And he's done so many nice things for the handgun hunting community. He donates to different shoots, et cetera, et cetera. He always helps new people into the field. I always love getting a chance to chat with him. I hope that you enjoyed it and we'll see you on the next one. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six-Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. God bless and good hunting.